today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. And Peter is warning the church here, man, you need to stay on track. It's so important to stay on track. Look what he says. Therefore, brethren, verse 10, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. There's that word again, that diligence. Be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot there, and we're not going to be able to cover all of it sufficiently. Faith in Christ is just the beginning of your Christian journey. There also needs to be a change in your life. What is the desire of your heart? As you study God's Word, you will grow in knowledge and understanding of God's truths. Today, Pastor David will encourage you to be diligent in studying the Bible so that you can check it against what you are being taught. Be aware that there are false teachers all around you trying to pull you away from God and His truths. Your knowledge and understanding of God's Word will give you confidence to know that Jesus is who He says He is. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 2 Peter chapters 1 and 2 as he continues his message, Trouble from Within. calls for discipline in our lives. And my flesh screams out and goes the other way. But he says, no, by diligence, giving all diligence, you need to add to your faith. There's way too many Christians that say, yeah, man, it was back like in uh, well, 1970. That's when I received Christ. Yeah, it was back in 1970. I sat down and, 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 and a guy led me in a prayer and I, and I received Christ as my Savior. So yes, I, I know that I'm a believer. I, I had faith back in 1970 to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. Well, is that it? Is that all there is? You know, 30, 40, almost 50 uh, years ago, is that the end of it? No, Peter says faith is just the beginning. That's just the doorway that opens up our relationship. He says, add to your faith virtue. Virtue is a great word that we hardly ever use anymore. To say that he is a man of virtue or she is a man or a woman of virtue. We just don't hear that anymore. We have people that are being questioned for positions within our government and all the questions, but are they asking, are they a man of virtue? Are they a woman of virtue? When we go to the polls, are we looking for the ones that are going to push our position, or are we looking for men and women of virtue? I dare say we need to be looking for men and women of virtue, who are honest, who are faithful, who are, again, aren't drawn aside by by any other way than just doing the right thing. Virtue, add to your faith virtue, valor, courage, those kinds of issues that come into virtue. And he says, and to virtue, knowledge. And that's the very thing that he said before, knowledge growing with our understanding, but more than book knowledge. 
Guys, it's got to be a heart knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. That's, that's that ability to stand fast, to, to be able to stay. When everything is pushing against you, when every, every battle is coming, when, when all hell breaks loose against you, to be able to stand your ground, to be able to persevere against every attack of the enemy and add to your perseverance godliness. In other words, making those right choices, those things that are going to honor him, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. And what that means is, man, you need to treat people right. We need to treat people in the same way that the Lord treats people. Let's face it, sometimes we wrong each other. Sometimes we'll say something, we'll do something, and I'll hurt your feelings, you'll hurt my feelings, or something that was said that I heard that you said, that somebody said that you said, and then I find out about that, and suddenly I'm, I'm all heartbroken. You know what? In, in the body of Christ, we need to move beyond those things. We need to be men and women who are willing in love to go and to speak to each other and not let the enemy throw in a wedge and throw in a divisive spirit that would come and, and divide the body of Christ and break up that understanding of brotherly kindness and that to that kindness, that love, that agape love, that agape love that gives all. He says, for if these things are yours and they abound, if they are yours and they abound, they're growing, then you're not going to be barren. You're not going to be fruitless in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That brother or sister that's been a believer for 20 years or 20 weeks or 20 months, there's no fruit in their life that really demonstrates Christ. If there's nothing like, uh, again, you could, you could go to the, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22, say none of those things are really being shown within their lives. And the question is, is, are they really growing or are they still back at that point of, I asked Christ to save me from my sin, but I'm not really growing in it. I'm not growing in love with him and I'm not being conformed to his image. And there's nothing that really shows. He says, if these things are yours, if they abound, you're going to show fruit. There's going to be evidence within your life. People are going to be able to see you and realize, man, that individual, not only do they know God, but they are growing in their relationship with God and with the Lord Jesus Christ. For he, verse 9, for he who lacks these things, he's short-sighted, even to blindness. And he's actually forgotten that he's been cleansed from his old sins. That's a pretty powerful statement. Forgotten that he's been cleansed from his old sins. Yeah, I prayed that prayer back then, but nothing has really changed in my life now. And I'm not ever hardly focused on the reality of my relationship with Christ. I'm just living my life day to day and day. Man, that, that is a barren, barren life as a believer. And there's not going to be any fruit in that life. If you lack these things, you're blind. You've forgotten, number one, why you are cleansed from your sins, how you are cleansed from your sins. You've forgotten the fact of the brokenness that needs to be in your life and my life as we come to Christ. And Peter is warning the church here, man, you need to stay on track. It's so important to stay on track. Look what he says. Therefore, brethren, verse 10, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. There's that word again, that diligence. Be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble 
For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot there, and we're not going to be able to cover all of it sufficiently. But let me look at this one. Be very diligent to make your call an election sure. Do you realize that what he's saying is you need to test whether or not you're truly saved? And he's writing to believers. You need to do this check on a continual basis. Why? Because I doubt my salvation? No, in order to confirm, to affirm, and to be solid in the reality of it. Paul tells us, man, you need to put yourself to the test. It can't be just a passion. It can't be just an excitement. Oh, I love Jesus, and that's all there is to it. And there's no change of life. There's no depth of life. That's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 13, he says, examine yourselves. And he's talking to believers. He says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Put yourself to the test. Don't you know yourselves that Jesus is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. How could that possibly happen? Because all too often, the gospel message is made too simple and too easy and too convenient, when Jesus didn't present it that way. Jesus says, you want to come after me, you need to leave everything else and follow me. Jesus says, you want to follow after me, you got to be willing to die to self. And that's on a daily basis. That's not just once 20 years ago or 15 weeks ago. No, that's on a daily basis. You know, the problem with particularly in our culture, in the Western culture in particular, Hey, how many of you want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. And people raise their hands all over the auditorium. Well, come on up and let's pray for you that Jesus might save you. And that's the end of the commitment right there. Rather than saying, how many of you are willing to die tonight? You're willing to die to self. and You're willing to, again, lay everything down for the cause of the cross. Now, beloved, that's the call that is ours. And that's why Paul, and that's why Peter, that's why even John, John says, man, I've written in 1 John, he says, I've written these things to you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Well, what things has he written? Well, he's written a lot of things. He's written like, if you say you don't love your brother, then man, the truth's not in you. You're still walking in darkness. John writes down a a multiple of things. He says, you say this, but you're doing this? Hey, you're lying to yourselves. And I think that's why Peter is so firm here. He says, be more diligent to make sure of your call and of your election, that I am the Lord's. I have to look at my life and say, it's not just that I stumbled you know, today or, or this afternoon. It's not just that I struggle in this area, but where is the passion of my heart? Where's the desire of my heart? Is the passion and the desire of my heart to be found obedient? Is my desire to, to show myself honorable to him, that I truly love him? And is there fruit that's coming out of that? Or have I just sometime in the past mouthed something and said, yeah, I believe. Oh, hey, here's your ticket, man. You got, you got the fire escape ticket. No, Christianity is nothing about that. And all too often in our culture, it's been pushed that way. Let's move on. He says, for this reason, verse 12, for this very reason, this whole idea of being sure of your calling, being evident in your life. He said, for this reason, I'll not be negligent to remind you always of these things 
though you know and are established in the present truth, because he's taught them. He says he, he knows that they've been under the teaching of the word. You know these things, just like we here tonight. We know these things. We're not ignorant of these things. He says, you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it's right. As long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of those things after my decease. Peter knew that his time was short, and, and again, Peter was, was executed, and tradition tells us that, that Peter was crucified, and he said, I, I, I don't crucify me in the same way that my Lord. I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way as my Lord, and they crucified him upside down. Peter knew that this was coming about. He knew that this current tent, or as I call it, this carcass that I haul around all the time, he knew that it's only going to be there shortly. But he wanted to make sure that the church understood, man, this is an eternal issue that we are dealing with. This is the reality, again, of life in Christ. There will come a time where we have to put off this tent, but he wanted to make sure that the church understood what their position was in Christ and what they needed to do, again, in this life. He goes on, he says in verse 16, we didn't follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard his voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Well, he's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration back in Matthew 17. Remember Peter, James, and John, they went up there to be with the Lord. The Lord started praying, Peter, James, and John, they fell asleep. And then during that time, again, the Lord transfigured him. And again, once they finally woke up, they realized, wow, here's Elijah and Moses and Jesus. Let's make tabernacles for all of them. And that's when the Lord, man, do away with Moses and Elijah. No, this is my beloved son. You listen to him. He's the one. He's the focus. And Peter is saying, you know, this isn't something we just devised up. This isn't something we sat down in a corner one day and decided, hey, let's, let's pull this really weird religion all together. You know, man on the outside says that Christianity is just the fables of men. But Peter is saying, no, it's not the fables. We experience it. We are hands-on. John says the same thing in his letters. He says, we, we've seen it. We've held it. We've touched it with our own hands. We have experienced these things. Guys, for you and I, that's 2,000 years ago. But they wrote these things in order that we might have eyewitness testimony of the events that took place so that we can be firm in our faith and firm in our understanding of the truth that's being presented to us. Let me go on. So, verse 19, so we have the prophetic word confirmed. What prophetic word? The Old Testament. Speaking of, again, the coming of Christ, we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. In other words, pay attention to the prophecies of old. And see how they're being fulfilled, how they were fulfilled in Christ, how they've been fulfilled in Israel, and how they're even being fulfilled today. Today, prophecy is being fulfilled. And I believe that we are, again, pressing further and further to the very last day and the last time with all that we see going on. We need to pay attention to these things. Know it, verse 20, knowing this first 
that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Beloved, I don't care what prophecy is in here. If that prophecy is not confirmed within the word, that's where you've got to be careful. How do we, again, understand the prophecy? How do we understand the word of God? By the word of God, interpreting it and showing it to us. No prophecy was just given, like he says, by by the will of man. No prophecy is open for a private interpretation. It's got to line up with the word of God. We can't have someone stand up in here and say, hey, the Lord has given me the gift of prophecy, and I believe that he does. I believe that through the Holy Spirit, he does. But you know what? That word that that individual might speak, it better line up with the word of God. Otherwise, he is a false prophet. Then if we want to go back to the Old Testament, they stone false prophets. So anybody got a word tonight? Okay, and just check it. And again, it's got to line up with the word of God. Look at chapter two. But, he says, though those prophecies came, they came by the will of God, but there were also false prophets back then among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. And they're going to secretly bring in destructive heresies. They're even going to deny the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. There's there's those that are teaching that, that Jesus Christ is not God. Oh, maybe he is a God or he is a form of God. But the word of God says, no, he is God. As a matter of fact, he was crucified not because he did an abundance of miracles, but because he claimed himself to be God. And that was blasphemous to the Jews. He was crucified. And for any religion that says any less, they are a false religion with damnable heresies, according to what the word says, bringing about that Jesus Christ is anything less than God. He says, you need to be careful. They are bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many are going to follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth is being blasphemed or will be blasphemed. By covetousness or greed, they will exploit you with deceptive words. And again, this comes back on this whole idea of of, of putting restrictions, putting the law of man upon you. They're they're, going to exploit you with these deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber or sleep. In other words, God's God's not ignorant of these false teachings that are going on. There will come a time when judgment for all of that will be laid out. Look what he says. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And some say, well, uh, who is he speaking about? Which angels there? Is he speaking about all those that fell with Satan? Or is he speaking about those possibly in Genesis chapter 6, where again, in in the whole understanding of angels taking on uh, either uh, the bodies of men or or uh, taking on demonic possession on men, uh, Genesis chapter 6, that God has reserved them for judgment. Verse 5, God did not spare the ancient world, but he saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of ungodly. In other words, God came to a point, says enough is enough. 
Noah, get your family in the ark. It's time. Judgment is coming. And then he speaks of another time of judgment from Genesis chapter 19. He says, he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. He condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. So he brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And we'll get into that a little bit more as we get into Jude. But look what he says here in verse 7. And he delivered who? But what does he say about Lot? Righteous Lot. We don't think about Lot as righteous, do we? But listen to what he says here, because he says it three times. And delivered righteous Lot, who is oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Let me stop right now and just give you my opinion of what's taking place here. Lot had been with his uncle Abraham for a while. I have absolutely no doubt that Abraham was pouring into Lot as well as the rest of his family and probably even into his servants. The reality of the one true God that called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, that called him to a land that he was going to show him. I believe without a doubt that Abraham probably poured into Lot. And when that time came that Lot was going to separate because of the, the battle between you know, space enough for all of their herds, Lot just got into the flesh. He said, man, that looks really good, that valley down there. I want to go down there. He didn't consider the consequences of his decision in the flesh. It doesn't mean that he wasn't, uh, again, a child of God. Didn't mean that he didn't love God. He just made a really bad decision. And he found himself in a condition that I think for every one of us, we found ourselves at times in conditions that we wish we weren't in. And I believe that that's what happened with Lot. And once he got down there, and once he realized what he was in, but he's got all of his family, he's got his herds, he's got everything there. As a matter of fact, when we read through that, he was from the outside and he moved in and moved. Pretty soon he's in the city, but yet he's not a part of that city. Because we read even uh, when we look at that Genesis account, that those men in Sodom and Gomorrah, they said, you come in here and you try to be our judge. That's what they accused Lot of. So we know that there is, Lot's not a partaker of this wickedness, but he's in the midst of it. And beloved, sometimes you and I as believers, we can step out of the favor of God, that blessing of God. We can step into the things of this world. We can step into the things of the flesh. And man, our spirit, we know, is being vexed. But for some reason, we're being drawn either by the flesh or by the world, by stupidity, whatever the case might be. And we find ourselves in a situation, man, there's no peace here. There's no presence of the grace of God here. God delivered him, though, in the midst of that. And what a blessing. I read that, and I think, again, the grace of God, the grace of God, not my abilities, but it is the grace of God that even in my stupidity, he delivers me. And beloved, that's what I see here. That righteous man dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Verse 9, then the Lord knows how. If the Lord delivered Lot, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the just under punishment for the day of judgment.
As our time with you today winds down, we'd like to share where you can listen to today's message again. You'll find this and other teachings from Pastor David and The Open Word at theopenword.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss an edition of the program. Right now, let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick message from the heart. Hello, friend. I'm so glad you joined in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. He's the reason I teach every week at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I want as many people as possible to know and believe the message of the gospel. If you'd like to know more about what Jesus' life and death means to you, I'd encourage you to call us. We have some great people here who would love to pray with you and answer your questions. Our number is 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. Know that I'm praying for you too, and I value you greatly as a listener and brother or sister in Christ. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to invite you to come see us in person as well at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. We have services every Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday, and you'll be able to find more information at theopenword.com. Just click the church link at the bottom of the page. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Join us next time to continue our journey through the Bible, right here on The Open Word. Make us more.